Welcome to Conversations with KP, the podcast. This is your host, KP, and I'll be pointing you to God through conversations and creativity. Let's go. Welcome to Conversations with KP, episode seven. Seven is the number for completion. We love that. And I've got a great guest on today. Really excited about this guy. Um, he's an actor and model. Uh, film credits include SWAT, Scandal, and a few other projects. He's a singer, something I recently found out. Uh, he's got some songs including Never Backing Down and Honest. He's also a servant leader at the church that we both attend. Welcome to the podcast, Sterling Alexander. Man, thank you, bro. How are you? Good it's so good to be here, dude. I'm grateful to be here. So glad to have you on. Um, Sterling, I don't know if you've listened to the pod, but the first thing I like to start off with is how did we meet and if you remember. Yeah, totally. No, so we, so actually, uh, we have young adults pastors at the church that we're at, Blanc and Co. Uh, and they told me about you and your wife the day that we met. So it was like right before we were doing company night, which mm-hmm. is our young adults, our young adults like takeover service night. Um, and uh, they were like, you gotta meet, you gotta meet KP and Anna. Like they're so dope. We had them over for dinner. We told them he needs to meet you. And I was like, great, let's go. And uh, we were, I was, I was helping the greeting team that night. And you came in uh, while we were greeting, and you joined the team like immediately. And yeah. then we started talking and hit it off, and learned that this man is also an actor, bro. I just saw one of your headshots. Like, <laughs> let's go, my man's smooth. My man's smooth. Um, but yeah, so we, we hit it off that way, and we were like, we got we got to get together, we got to get lunch or something. So we did that, connected mm-hmm. on a deeper level. Went and to Mojo's, got some yeah, tacos. Yeah, bro, shout out to Mojo's. Shout out to Mojo's Tacos. But yeah. yeah, dude, so I'm grateful to be here, and I love you, man. So this is awesome. I love it's you an too, honor. bro. Sterling is amazing dude. Um, we're going to get more into him as a person as we go through this episode. The first question I do like to ask guests, the first official question, mm-hmm. is uh, when did your relationship with God begin? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I grew up in church. I remember being five years old, and I was we were living in Okinawa, Japan, because my parents were both in the Air Force before. Japan. Yeah, yeah. My I pa- did not know that. <laughs> my parents were both in the Air Force before they became pastors, wow. so. Um, but I vividly remember being five years old at a service in Okinawa and looking up at my dad while he was just getting wrecked by God. And I just remember being like, I've never seen this man shed tears. Uh, I didn't say it like that in my brain because I was five, but um, that's what I was thinking. And um, from I, I would say I grew up from that point on mm-hmm. um, in a household where God was a part of it um, via my parents' faith. I probably, I got saved in the back of my parents' minivan at 11 or 12 years old on our way to Alamogordo, New Mexico. Um, I was just like, okay, God, I think I'm, I think I'm ready to like do this. Which my whole faith journey has been, there have been stages of it. And I, you know, I'd gotten baptized when I was younger, but I remember doing it again when I was 17 years old. Um, because I was like, I'm old enough now to understand the commitment that I'm making to, to Christ. And, um, I had a really awesome youth pastor who's now a lead pastor, but um, who really began to challenge me in my own journey because he also grew up son of a pastor. And so anytime that happens, you get a lot of, you get a lot of empathy and understanding. And so um, we walked together and when I graduated, I moved to um, California 
And while I was there, I got, I was further challenged by our, our college leaders. So I would say that my real, real walk with the Lord, I think I started when I was in high school. I think it really took off and really began um, in my college years, honestly, via mistakes, yeah. via um, understanding God as a father rather than, you know, because there's the, there's, the, there's the truth of being saved and then there's the relational factor as well of, of him being a father and what does that mean for you as a son and a servant, brother, all of those things. And that didn't begin for me until I started not being perfect. Because I grew up with a lot of my own performance um, notions and, and issues, and and um, I was hard on myself. I grew up in, I grew up in like so military household, and I did martial arts. And and for me, it's like you grow up. If you do well, you get praise, and so and you get and then you get things on top of praise. And so I'm like, oh, I gotta. If I do well, then I'm gonna get things from people, I'll get things from God. I'll, mm-hmm. when, I'm, when I don't, I'm going to be told where I sucked and where I need to fix it. And so I'm translating that to my relationship with God. Yeah. Not understand, not only did my, my, my earthly dad never even put that on me, I just never perceived it as such. Mm-hmm. And so um, just through different things that I went through and even confessing things to my dad, talking with him about it, I began to understand his response towards me, helped me understand what God's response towards me is. And so I would say college is where the relationship factor really took off. Wow, man. Um, so you know martial arts. If I ever get in a fight, I know who to call. Totally. <laughs> Just, yeah, hopefully we're not in one. I got in the martial arts, so I didn't get in the fights. But yeah. So you're a pastor's kid. Um, what was it like growing up with parents who were pastors? And what were the pressures of that? Yeah. Um, I would say that the blessing factor is I always got to see what it was like with my parents walking with the Lord. The hard factor was uh, I understood early on, at least for me in my sphere, that I was watched a lot. Um, And that that applied pressure that they didn't even apply on me. It was just, I'm Pastor Rich's son, Pastor Donna's son. And so everything's a little bit more scrutinized. Um, And I think that for me, it was hard to just maneuver my life and and live it, especially in church, because there's also expectations that I felt. Um, and again, it's not my parents putting these things on me. I'm feeling it from other people. Um, even friends were like, oh, you're a pastor's son. Like he's either one of two things. Either he's going to be super perfect or he's going to be the most rebellious human being on the face of the planet. There's no, yeah, there's no in between. And I honestly lived both. So, um, but, but it was, it was, it was difficult. And then when I moved my parents, so my parents were youth pastors and associate pastors and then lead pastors. They didn't become lead pastors until I moved and I was in the same, uh, ministry. And so there was even like moving to LA and being at a church there that's the same ministry as the church that they're lead pastoring in Texas. And it, that being known, anything that I did in the Western region or just in, in the ministry as a whole, I felt the pressure of you're still a pastor's kid. And anything that you do, if you mess up, it's not just you. It's not even just the church that you're in. That also impacts your family's church and it impacts them ultimately. Yeah. So that was really, really difficult to um, to, to navigate and maneuver through. 
because uh, I always felt the pressure of do not screw up at all. Yeah. Don't drop the ball in any way. It's going to get around. It may reflect negatively on him. You know, I remember telling him things, and I'm telling him not even necessarily because I want to confess it or get free of it for myself. I'm like, I don't want this to come back on you. He didn't even know that. But, like, those are the kinds of things that I that I grew up dealing with. So it was, it was tough. This makes sense with what you just said earlier about performance. Because mm-hmm. that kind of pressure will make you think, I do have to perform. Yep. Now, this is also really cool because you're an actor. <laughs> so, I mean, it all, like, I chose I love... pro- professions of performance. <laughs> I love how it all ties in. Like, God is so cool in that way. And um, I consider you an extremely creative individual. Thank you, man. Uh, not only do you act and sing, uh, but you also write songs. And you're a film writer. I mean, you went to school for um, film writing, right? Am I-, I did. I went to, I went to acting. So I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Got an associate's degree. I took a year off instead of doing the company year where you just do shows the third year. Um, I, needed a, I, I needed a degree degree. So I took a year off to figure out where I was going to go and get that done. I joined a boy band in the interim. Um, we, we were called Rain. Uh, like, not from the sky, from the throne. Rain from the throne. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. Um, <laughs> and then I, I landed at the Art Institute in North Hollywood. Yeah. And I got my bachelor's of science for digital filmmaking and video production. So that's where I really learned. And my family is awesome because they were like, listen, get, get a degree in something that's in the industry so that you always have a, a yeah, way into the industry. And so um, digital filmmaking, that's where I learned the other side of the camera and everything yeah. that goes into making what I, at that point, had, had only been acting through. So, yeah, um, yeah it was great. So, when did you realize your creative talents and your passion for the arts? Oh, man. Oh. Um, that's a humbling question. I knew that I loved arts in grade school. So, when I was a kid, I loved, I've always loved movies. I've always loved the, like, the pandemic. I felt the pandemic hard on the basis of, like, oh, I can't go to the movies. Because I love the experience of going into a movie theater with your friends and going, being taken on a journey. It uh, is very together. euphoric. Yeah. I think each time, especially if it's like one of those movies that are really critically acclaimed, hyped up. like Yes. Even if it's just a, just a let's go entertain ourselves mm-hmm. for a couple hours. Man, like it's, it's awesome. And then the movies that are events. Like you, you talk about like, I don't know, um, any build up for like The Lord of the Rings. Um, the Harry Potter movies, like Pirates of the Caribbean, like you just remember, like oh, we're going at midnight. All the Mar- every Marvel movie, like Endgame, midnight. <laughs> like it was not, we were not waiting. So it, just that experience, I've always loved that as a kid. Favorite movie is Lion King. Greatest That's movie. my favorite movie. Let's go, greatest the movie cartoon, of all time. Ninety four. Yes, dude. Yes, yes. Respect to the live action. Uh, I love the cartoon. It, it has my heart. But uh, I just remember feeling those things and being like, oh, I, w- I would love to. I don't know how. No idea. But I would love to. Yeah, I would always pretend in my brain that I was those characters and even make up new ones. And so, and I grew up an only child, so I had a lot of time to imagine. Uh, me both as y- only child. Yep. <laughs> I would do the same thing, make up characters, bro. Yes. I thought I was the only one. No, not at all, bro. <laughs> you are not alone. Uh, there are more of us. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so when I got to high school, I was like, oh, I, I guess my career is going to be something like the medical field or I was going to be a lawyer or something like that. I was yeah. like, maybe I'll be an anesthesiologist. I was like, they make bank. <laughs> Love that. 
So I had my 10th grade, my 10th grade class is called Health Science Technology, one of them. And uh, I was like, this is great. I'll cut my teeth and learn like what, what this is all about. And I remember the very first day of class, our teacher plopped down a stack of papers that was about that thick. Yeah. For those who are just listening, this is, I'm, my fingers are making an inch uh, of paper in the 10th grade. And it's all medical terminology and abbreviations. And I was like, I'm not going to want to be an anesthesiologist for very much longer. This is officially the beginning of the end of the Republic um, for me. So uh, I got into theater, did a theater class. And I was like, oh, no, this is, <laughs> this is everything that I wanted. I was like, I, I took easier classes in my core subjects because I was like, I don't want to be distracted from doing well with theater. And what's hilarious is I had already had the theater class by the time I got to, I, I took theater in my freshman year. I tried to take theater my, the same day that I got the stack of papers, the same day I went to theater too. Well, you had to audition to be in theater too. I never auditioned. Uh, and so my counselor just scheduled it for me. So I got the stack of papers later that day. I rolled into theater too. First thing my theater teacher said, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Her name is Donna Dorsett and she's amazing. Uh, but she sees me and she's like in front of the whole class. No, uh-uh, you can't be here. When you learn how to act better, you can come back. And she didn't mean act as in like actor, like she meant behavior. When you behave better, when you're not a nuisance, because I was uh, completely, you can come back. You shape up for a year. And I'm like, a year? Yeah. This now means that all my peers are going to be ahead of me. Now, theater three and theater four were combined. So it was juniors <laughs> and then and three and then seniors and four. So I'm still going to get to see them, but they're going to be like above me in my brain, but I'm like, oh, I want to do this. So I worked on being a better human being as well as I was going to be in 10th grade. And, uh, and then she allowed me to audition and I started theater th uh, two, my junior year. And that's the first time that I ever did any shows. Wow. Um, what was the first show you did? The first show I did was a one act or a condensed version of To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And I was, uh, I, I didn't, I don't even think I spoke. Um, but I was like, this is great. I'm on stage. The very next show that I did uh, was my first show with speaking was uh, Julius Caesar. And I was Caesar. And it was really amazing because as Caesar, uh, I was the only black character. And as we all know, Caesar gets assassinated. <laughs> and Awkward. everybody else that was on the show was not black. Let's just say it like that. So there was, a, and we didn't, none, nobody thought about it until it actually happened on the stage. And we were like, oh, well, that doesn't send a very good message at all. But uh, it was a great show. And for me, I was like, I want to do this forever so um that's when i that's when it bit me bit me i think talent wise i don't know i mean i got cast in our high school musical my senior year that's when i found out i could sing other than that i was like a five-time shower grammy winner it's great but i had to audition and they gave me like a solo and i was like does this is this a good thing i don't really i've never been the person that's like yeah i can do this so getting a solo, I was like, well, my brain is like, everybody's like, that's so great. And I'm like, yeah, don't mess it up. Don't fumble the bag. Like, that's yeah. all I'm thinking. Um, but that's, that's kind of like where I was like, okay, I can maybe do this. And so I started, I passed on the, on the school that I went to. I mentioned the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I passed on that school two separate occasions my senior year. I, it came across just my, like, I saw it online. It's like, no. Um, teacher, my, my theater teacher recommended it to me. I was like, no. And then the third time, because I'm like, I'm doubting myself. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't go to LA and do theater school, acting school, and like make it, make it. I'm afraid, honestly, if I'm being, yeah, if I'm being the most real. 
So the third time it came across was my mom, and I was like, okay, Lord, maybe you're trying to tell me something. So I was like, I'll audition. So I left our UIL one-act like competition. We had just done a show, and I got in the car with the same lady who re- told me to come back as a better human being. She took me back home so I could get with my parents and go to Dallas yeah. and audition for this, show, uh, for, this, uh, for this school. And I walked in the audition. I forgot my passport photos. I did my monologue, and I was like, I, that sucked. I was, I was horrible. I walked out. Had to go get my passport photos. Came back after somebody else's audition. Like, hey, sorry to interrupt, but like, here's my photos. Um, yeah. And uh, got a call the very next week. Um, at our, we had made it to the next round of our competition. I got a call. Um, no, it was two weeks later. Um, I got a call from my parents, and it was my parents reading the very first line of my acceptance letter. That is so awesome. Um, so that's when, for me, that was a confidence boost of like maybe I can. Yeah. To answer the question, that was a very long answer for like when did I first realize anything? But that for me, it's always been a maybe I can, not like oh I've arrived to this place. Yeah. I'm gonna say like. The industry, the acting industry, is an industry full of rejection, and a lot of people are afraid. How have you overcome fear in that process of being an actor? I haven't. Um, I think that what I've, the best thing that's happened for me and continues to, this is all a process, is understanding how God views me and who he says I am. And this spans like more than I think, you know, like we're talking about rejection in industrially. Um, but there's also like, okay, you, I, you know, one of the things I do right now is I'm in sales. Um, you're going to get rejection from that. I've gotten rejection from what do you do whenever the girl that you want to talk to is like, "Mm, no. Um, so for me, and the reason I'm bringing those things up is because I'm saying, I realized just from like acting itself that rejection is just a, like a thing for me that God's been bringing me through. Yeah. So, not like and let me let me be clear. Not this is not a woe is Sterling. I'm saying that this is an area like my identity and who God says I am, and how that informs how I view people and how I live and how I move, um, regardless of what other people think or do. Yeah. <clears throat> That's been an area that God's really place his hand on for years so when you ask me about overcoming the fear I would say that would be the only way if there is an overcoming it is a before an audition before anything before having a sales meeting it's regardless of what happens I'm grateful to be in this place God I thank you that you accept me you never reject me as a matter of fact you pursue me even when I'm rejecting you Wow. Um, and so that allows me to walk into an audition or a meeting, and in my mind, I'm playing with house money. My only job at this point is to love people well. Yeah. Do they get to experience Jesus because I was in that space? And the, the, the other thing that's helped me out lately is I'm not in the room for any other reason than they want me there. If I'm in a meeting for sales, they're prospecting. Can you, can you solve my problem? If I'm in an audition, they called you in because you have the ability to do this well. Yep. So there's an actual wanting in the first place. And so walking in, it's like all I, the talent's there. Like that is something you go get trained classically. You get to do, you amass X amount of credits. You, you're in a sense 
validated in your ability to do the job. So I'm no longer thinking about, can I do the job? You put in the work to do it well, and then you walk in and you allow that work to take over. And my thing is, I wanna make sure that this atmosphere shifts because I got to be in here because God's presence was in the room. Yeah. And so when my focus is not on, am I gonna book this? Am I gonna land this? Um, is whomever gonna say yes? I'm more free to move in the giftings that God's given me. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Um, many people may not know this, but, but a big part of your journey is your battle with mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, walk us through that battle and how your relationship with God and your family helped you through that. Yeah. Ooh, a biggie. Um, I didn't see these questions beforehand, folks. This is great. Um, yeah, well, I think, so part of it is the, you know, I've always, I've always been a person that, that like, in my most vulnerable is like, oh, I really, I love everyone. I want people to love me, you know? And um, I experienced, in different environments, really wonderful people. And we're all at our, in our own journeys of becoming healthy, whether we're talking about physically, <laughs> mentally, spiritually. Um, and so at this intersection of our lives, in the environment that I was in, um, I was in a space, this was 20, this is pretty much 2018, partway into 2018 through uh, a culmination moment being in 2020, May of 2020, but I was in a space where I felt, and this is, this is I'm, I'm, you know, working uh, at a church, I'm feeling the weight of performance, the responsibility of other people, I'm still trying to just grow myself not perfect in, by any stretch of the imagination, making all sorts of mistakes, um, and feeling like, oh man, like, and, and this wasn't anything that even these people were putting on me, but I'm like, I don't really know how to earn people's like unconditional love, yeah. which is what I honestly, now that, now that we're having this conversation, was probably trying to do. Um, I don't like hurting people. I don't like upsetting people, and I really don't like letting people down. Now there's, we can get into the minutia of like false responsibilities that I was taking on and all of those things. But yeah. at, at the very course, what I was dealing with and just feeling like I wasn't doing well and also isolating myself because I just had a problem trusting people. Um, so, and that's, that's on me. Like it, regardless of if I felt like I had a reason or not, isolating myself from relationships when I'm in a city where my blood family's not there and even a lot of people that I've been close to for years aren't there is not wise. And so I was in a relationship because I had isolated myself from every other friendship um, and even mentorship and covering, if you will, when that relationship ended, first of all, it made that relationship more intense, which, yeah. was, which was wrong. It put way too much pressure on that relationship is all I had, so I felt. And so when that ended, a lot of things ended at the same time in 2020. I had a breakdown, this was in May, uh, late April, early May. I had a, I had a, a nervous break and I, did what, what would be called uh, an aborted suicide attempt, meaning I went through the steps to do something to myself and then did not go through with it. Well, this is the pandemic. I had also had COVID a couple, like a month or so prior to, and it spent pretty much the entire month by myself in isolation, in physical isolation. I'm already emotionally isolated from people. I'm kind of spiritually isolated from God. Yeah. There's just a whole bunch of, of, of isolation going on, which is not good. It's just not good for anyone. It's not healthy. But um, so by that point, I'd already been through that. 
But I say it's COVID to say when I did when I did come to and like I don't want to do this, I start driving around trying to find a place to trying to find a counselor to talk to. Well, everybody's closed because COVID. So the third or fourth place that I went to had a mental health hotline on the on the door. So I called it. And I talked with them. They made sure that I wasn't a, a, a threat to other people um, and pretty much not to myself. And they told me that I could go to this place and check myself in. And um, if I was deemed not a threat to myself or society, then they'd let me out. And I was like, well, this is safer than me being home tonight. Yeah. And so I went and I checked myself in. And it was, and it was rough, too, because I, I didn't know they were going to take my phone and all manner of communication with the outside world. So I actually had to call my family beforehand because we usually talk to each other like every night. Even if I was not being forthright about all the things I was struggling with, but I'm like, they're gonna not be able to get a hold of me. So I called them, and it was the first time I told them that I was struggling. It was just a big, it was a big thing for them to to, to hear, yeah. um, out of nowhere. <clears throat> but the their response wrecked me right before I went in, and you know, my my dad told me he was proud of me, and so did my mom, and that meant a lot because. I'm thinking I'm gonna wreck their world and let them down by letting them know like what I'm struggling with yeah. and they're like thank you for telling us that you're struggling so um, yeah I checked myself into an institution I was there I wasn't well when I got let out I actually I partway acted my way out of it because it was it was the mental institution from the movies um, <laughs> but award yeah but <laughs> but but I say that, and, and, and there's a, a level of levity to that, but what it did was it humanized me. Because I'm like, I may say that as a joke, but I'm like, I am here for a reason. Yeah. Everybody is struggling with something. And so it actually birthed a journey for me that is like more empathy than I've ever had for humans in my life. Um, so I got out, and then I went home. I went home to Texas from where I was. Cause I was like, I'm not well, I gotta get well. So I started seeing a Christian counselor, she's amazing. Um, I love her to death and uh, learned, she was great because yes, Christian counselor, Christian therapist, but brings in the mental aspect and, and doesn't bring in the spiritual aspect unless I'm asking for it. And I wanted it all. And so getting the mental aspect plus you know how God's view of things and kind of rebuilding allowing God to refashion and rebuild me and bring me back to a place that's way closer to his original design for my life than I was at has been incredible. And there's been all manner of reconciliation with everybody that I had any kind of issues with. Because yeah. um, again, every, we're all in our different phases. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful because um, it's, it's a good, I was given a lot of tools and still am um, to navigate life um, and, and to be well and to live well with other people. I love what you said about being empathetic and that everybody deals with something because it's the truth. And I think as all of us continue to grow and, you know, meet more people and develop relationships, we have to be patient with each other mm. because you just don't know what people are dealing with. And nobody's life is perfect. Yep. Everybody's dealing with something. And we've got to be empathetic. So situations are different. Mm -hmm. So you may struggle. I'm not saying you do struggle. Maybe you struggle with mental health. Maybe I struggle with sickness. We may not understand the situation, but we do understand the emotion that is with the situation. So good. So if someone has cancer, 
you know, I don't know what it's like to have cancer, but I do know what it's like to live in disappointment and discouragement. We can relate to disappointment because they're disappointed with their situation. So emotions, this is why God is so good, mm -hmm. because God knows our situations won't be the same. Mm -hmm. Why would all our situations be the same? This is stupid. Yeah. But the emotions dealing with the situations are similar. I'll never know what it's like to die on a cross. Mm -hmm. But I. But Jesus knows the emotions I feel when I'm disappointed and discouraged. I think it's powerful what you just said about we need about being more empathetic and how even in that situation, which could have been a situation where you're like, this is like a low point for me, you grew from that. Situation, man. Well, thank so, you, man. Thank, I had a lot of help. Thank you for sharing, man. I appreciate you sharing that for sure. Um, outside of your creative talent, um, you hold a lot of confidence and charisma, in my opinion. I think if we ask anybody, they would say that about you, though. I feel like that's <laughs> that's Sterling. If you guys ever visit the Vlogging Cup, you will know who he is when you walk in. This guy is just so um, inviting, so warm, warm person, welcoming, great person. You make others feel seen and important. And uh, where does that come from? And, and also, how can you encourage listeners to be more confident? Oh, man. Um, well, first of all, thank you. That's humbling, and that's encouraging to me. Um, a lot of it, well, I think that going back to this story, one of the things that I would describe myself as when I was in my isolation, non-health period, however many years is I would describe myself as an introverted extrovert and that's just anybody who that really really knows me an ambivert <laughs> anybody who really knows me is like that is the farthest thing from true for me um, so one of the things that was happening while the Lord was healing my soul was he was bringing back out my natural affinity and love for people in general um, and the desire to connect with people now I would say that, and this is an encouragement, the, the, the path of, of being able to see people is something that I'm still on. Yeah. Um, it's an intentional one, though. So I did a life coaching thing, uh, I think also around the same time that I was dealing with a lot of stuff, which is actually really ironic. Well, now that we're having this conversation, I never put the time period together. But um, life coach, uh, I had won a session through some stuff at our church, and uh, a few sessions at, actually. And one of the things was he was like, what do you want your signature to be? And uh, he's like, it's different. It's not, it's not, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be known as while you're alive? And I'm like, oh, um, well, I think I want to make an impact. Okay, what does that mean? Um, well, I want to impact people. Okay, what does that mean? And so we go through this process where I end up honing, you know, what I would like to be great at doing. And I landed on, I want... Um, to be an, an individual and to be known as an individual who because people got to be around me and I got to be around them yeah. they felt like they mattered they knew rather that they mattered and that they were significant and that if they needed it in that moment they felt seen, heard, and understood um, because we all need that and I think that we've got enough in our world that will tell us you know, what it thinks of us that's not true and doesn't speak to our true worth and value. So I want to be a person who God uses to bring some of that intrinsic value back into their their knower, you know, their soul. Um, and so that that informs things like asking servers their names. Um, it informs the 
grocer like telling them thank you and saying their name and looking at their name tag when I'm leaving. And again, this is all a process. I'm the farthest from perfect at this. It's just something that it, that informs me me striving towards that. Um, now, a thing that I got to be careful of is not people pleasing. That's something that I struggle with. Yeah. Um, but you're aware. That's good to be. That's good that you're aware. Of that. Praise God. There's an awareness, and there's an awareness because of utter failure. But yes, um, praise Him. But uh, but yeah, I that is that is that is where that comes from. That's my desire, and so. For anybody that's that's listening, my encouragement would be: it's totally doable. It's just an intentional thing. Yeah, um, it has to be in the forefront. And for me, it's like, how do I? And similar to like we're talking about the conversation about like now walking into an audition room or a meeting space. It's like, how do I serve these people? What can I do while I'm trying to get mine for for lack of a better? Term? Like, if let's go back to the grocery store thing, I gotta go shop and I gotta get groceries. I gotta eat. I'm not trying to like ball out at a restaurant every single night of my life. So while I'm there, how can I love on and serve the people that are working there? Um, because they're certainly serving me by stocking the place, by making sure things are in its proper order, um, by ringing me up if I'm not in self-checkout. Yeah, man. Um, so what can I do to serve them? What can I do to serve the server at the restaurant? What can I do to, you know, we came up in here to, to, do, this, uh, to do this podcast episode well, how am I treating the person that's the security person up at the front, um, who probably is over life? A lot of folks, you know, we walk around, we do our, our normal gigs, and there's a, there's a deadpan happening. And so when you see people and when you acknowledge them and, and you work to bring value to them, you see people light up. doesn't matter if they're a man or a woman. It doesn't really matter. Um, that's what drives me, but that's that's it's a totally doable thing. It's just that has to it has to be intentional. It's not it's not an accident. Yeah. Um, we're gonna get into more of the fun questions now, man. Oh, well, wait. or a fun question. These have all been fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says that, but this is a fun question. I heard. Wait, I heard the camera just go. There you go. Yeah, yeah that doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, great. Because the, the the meat of our interview is pretty much over. Great. This is more of the, the laid back part. Um, who are the artists that inspire you? Oh. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Um, I mean, let's just go strictly music. Yeah. Michael Jackson, for Goat. sure. Goat. Justin Timberlake. I love what the weekend does. Weekend's awesome. JT's awesome. Too. Yep. I I on the like R and B hip hop level. Uh, Bryson Tiller. Love what he does. I love. I actually really enjoy. Um, uh, Post Malone and Drake, Posty and Drake. I'm just like you know, um, they do their thing. Um, Miguel, bro, in the R&B hey, space. That's, that's yeah. a good one right there. Bruno Mars. Great. I'll stop there. Okay. Yes. Let's let's play this game real quick. It's gonna be really quick. I'm gonna sing a part, and then you're gonna finish this. Oh, oh no. I, I, So I love, so I love JT. Okay. JT is awesome. He's underrated. So la la this la is la, from, la, this la, is la, la. because you're in a boys band. Okay. This is for a song. You probably you know this song. I should know this song. Ain't nothing but a heartache. Don't know why. Ain't, ain't nothing but a mistake. Tell me why I never wanna hear you say. I want it that way. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Bro, this was great. 
It was great having you on. Oh man, thank you. Listen, tell them where they can find you on. Oh, give them your handles. Yes. Okay. I mean, my main handle is the gram. So uh, at I am Sterling Alexander. So Sterling like the silver, Alexander like Alexander. Just the only way that I've ever seen Alexander spelled. So I am Sterling Alexander. IG. Okay. Thank awesome. you guys. Thanks well, for listening. That's a wrap, guys. Make sure you guys subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you, Sterling. Bro. Thank you again for coming on. Appreciate man. you, really man. Appreciate it. Great. See y'all in the next episode. See y'all.